welcome. Welcome to our second worship service. Uh, we greet you in the name of Christ. We are in a, we've been in a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the unique passages of the Gospel of Luke. The, un, the unparalleled grace is what we call it. Unique scenes from, from Luke's Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, the, the New Testament. And um, <clears throat> today we're looking at Luke 15, uh, verses 11 to 32. My title is Lost and Found. Lost and Found. Some of you, many of you probably, might have gotten a weird email supposedly from me this week. It wasn't from me. It was weird. Um, I hope you didn't open it up. Uh, I don't know what happened to my system, but all my, uh, all, I got a couple of phone calls from you guys, and I said, oh, all my, my entire contact list was, was gone. It was wiped out. And um, fortunately, I'm thankful for the, the MyFCF Community Church uh, uh, system that we have. I could get all of your emails back if you're on that system. But there are people in my life, you know, family and friends who aren't in the church, and some of those contexts, uh, I can recover them, but others are lost. They're gone. They're lost. And so it's a weird feeling to have your contact list out there. Um, <clears throat> people can't get, get a hold of you. Anyway, lost, lostness. This, this chapter, chapter 15 of Luke, is about lostness. It's about things that are lost. Uh, in the chapter, we're going to look at the third story. There's three stories. The first is about lost sheep. Lost sheep. A sheep that uh, was found by a compassionate shepherd. The second story is about a lost coin that was found by a persistent woman. We're going to look at the third story. The third story. If you have a Bible, turn to, to that passage. It's on the overhead. And as, we, as you find it, stand up. And we're going to read it. I'm going to read it as you listen to the Word of God, the ESV translation. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11 to the end of the passage. Long passage, let's, let's read it together. Verse 11. And he, he is Jesus there. He said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come, 
Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, th when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. God's word. Be seated, please. Very familiar parable, isn't it? Very familiar parable. Better known as the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son. The word prodigal. A person who spends or has spent his or her money or substance with wasteful extravagance. A, a spendthrift. A wasteful person. I would suggest it's a very bad title for this chapter, for this section, this parable. No, this is a story about two sons. Two lost sons. The, the popular title was oddly put together by a religious person. It reveals that they just missed the point of the parable. The point is not that God seeks out those who waste their life in rebellion. No. The point is that God seeks out those who look like rebels and are, as well as those who don't look like rebels and are. That's the point. There are all kinds of lost people in our world. The coin doesn't realize it is lost. I don't think a coin has a brain or a heart or feelings. The coin didn't realize it was lost, but guess what? It was lost. The sheep has strayed. It just got started nibbling on some grass and got, just got away from all the other sheep and lo and behold, looked around, started getting frightened, started getting afraid. I guess sheep can kind of figure out they're, they're lost. I don't know. The younger brother my God, he feels liberated for a while. He goes away to find himself, and in finding himself, he realizes one day, I'm lost. And the older brother, well, the last thing on his mind would be the very thought that he's lost. But guess what? He's lost. But the good news of this great chapter is that God seeks all kinds of lost people and celebrates when they are found. He celebrates when lost people get found. And there's an, an added theme is join the celebration. Join the party. Join the celebration. Luke, in this chapter, there's three things I want us to say. I want to, I want to talk about human rebellion, human religion, the dangers of it, and God's, the joy of God's salvation. That's what I want to talk about. First, the, the, the obvious dangers of human rebellion. This is the younger brother. The younger brother. Now, he would have received one-third of his dad's inheritance, um, and the older brother would have received two-thirds of the inheritance, and that's, that's a nice piece. But there's a little catch. When do you get an inheritance? When the person dies. And so he's just kind of waiting around for dad to die so he can get his money. And dad's, dad's, 
dad still, dad's in good health. Notice how dad ran? Dad's in good health. Dad's, dad's not going away soon. And so he gets, as he gets out, he wants his part. The money was more important to him than the relationship with his dad. That's important. He wants, he, in fact, dad, why don't you hurt and die so I can get the money? That's in his mind. And so he gets, he gets weary of waiting. So he wants his inheritance now. And he, the audacity to go to his dad and say, I like my portion now. The dad, probably saddened, probably surprised, probably grieved, says, sure, son, go on. You, you, you can have your portion. You know, it's very difficult for a parent to know that your kid is moving towards destruction and to watch it and to say, well, they're an adult now. They, they, they're going to have to experience the pains of life. It's very difficult. Many of you, many of you are right there as parents. But this, this, this dad knows that ultimately his son's responsible for his actions. So the younger son is allowed to go away and spend his inheritance in what the text calls reckless living, the ESV translation. And he experiences great pain in the far country, far country, far away from family and from, from his uh, Jewish culture. He spends all the money very quickly and ends up poor. He ends up needing to work, and so he gets a job. And he's working with pigs. Now, again, he's a Jewish boy, and, and Jews and pigs don't go together. You know that. It's not kosher to eat pigs. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that sometimes the, the pig looks pretty appetizing to him. He's thinking about maybe some hams or, or, or some, some sausage or some bacon or some, maybe some chitlins. I don't know. But, but the text, it, it, it says that not only was he interested in, 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 he was enticed by what the pigs ate. That's even worse, isn't it? Not just the pigs, but what the pigs eat began to be very attractive to him. And then he slaps himself and wakes up and says, wait a minute here. See, Jesus paints a picture of a very desperate man, a very hungry man, a very lonely man. And in his desperation, he, he comes to himself. He realizes that the servants in his father's plantation had it better than he had at that point. So he decides, I will go home. His hunger outweighed the sense of shame that he would have, that he had. So Jesus shares for us a little speech. You see the little speech? The three, it had three things. He was going to say, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against my father. And I'm not worthy to be even a son of my father. Uh, uh, would you take me back as a servant? That's his little speech. So he heads home, back to the father's house. And the surprise is that as he's walking close to the, maybe down the street towards the house, um, the father must have been watching. The father sees him and runs towards him. Don't miss that. He runs towards him. Very, this, it, was, it was not dignified for a Jewish man to run. But the father wasn't concerned about dignity. He was concerned about his son. His son. He recognized the gait, the, the walk of his son. He recognized the form of his son. His son had returned. He hears the pre-planned confession. <laughs> But the father rejects the request to just be a servant. He says, no, you're going to be my son. He says something like this. You are my son with all the privileges and all the rights of sonship. Yes, you've squandered your inheritance. You've embarrassed the family. And now you're returning in shame. Yet, I, your father, still embrace you as my son, not as some servant. This pictures our heavenly father who adopts us into his family, who restores us, 
who takes us back, who brings us back into fellowship with him, though we have strayed from him. This younger brother specifically represents many risk takers, the risky risk takers who, who say, I'm going to risk the safe, leaving the safety and the, the security of my restrictive parents' home. They have sheltered me and sheltered my life, but now I want to experience the real world for myself. These people experience what Hebrews 11 calls the pleasures of sin for a season, or a modern translation, the fleeting pleasures of sin. The text calls it reckless living. What is reckless living? Reckless living can be alcohol abuse. Reckless living can be drug abuse. Reckless living can be all kinds of sexual immorality. Reckless living. There's several idioms. Uh, living in the fast lane. Sowing your wild oats. You, you pick your idiom. Why do people engage in reckless behavior? Well, the Bible, in one sense, tells us because there's a pleasure in reckless behavior. There's a temporary season of pleasure. The pleasures of sin for a season, Hebrews 11. You ever been to an amusement park, long day, you're tired, hot, you're hungry, you go by the, the, the food stand, and you, you smell something that smells real good, and it looks real good, it's called cotton candy. Cotton candy. Now, if you have a sweet tooth like I do, cotton candy looks real good, doesn't it? Now, if you're smart, you know, eh, it's just cotton candy. It's just air. But it looks good. Smells good. It's going to even taste good. But it will not satisfy your desire for nourishment. Oh, well, it'll taste good for about, for about 30 seconds. You'll feel okay. Then you'll be wanting something else. Sin. Cotton candy. There's a, there's a temporary pleasure in sin, but it doesn't endure. It doesn't satisfy. Reckless living, it's like cotton candy. Reckless living has a way of fooling people into thinking it produces continual maximum joy and satisfaction. Actually, continual reckless living can lead to weariness, to broken relationships. It can even lead you to jail. It can even lead you to an early death, reckless living. Let me use an example. One, one, I'm sure some of us in this room have um, imbibed in alcohol a little too much more than you should have. You, you've taken some alcohol. You, 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 you got buzz, and then you got lit, and then you got drunk. It happened to me once. I was in college. It happened to me one night. I'll never forget it. It was a Friday night. I just, about an hour after the university meeting, by the way, <laughs> went out with, the, with, the, with some of the fellows from my dorm, and I got beyond buzz, beyond lit. I got drunk. And <laughs> I experienced a couple things that I had heard about, but now I knew from experience. Well, it feels good to be drunk because you're, you're, so, you're, so, you're so drunk that you're, you're so relaxed that you don't care that you don't, you don't care about what you do or what you say. And it feels good to just say what you think and do what you, and you don't care. It's, a, it's good. To, the, the inhibitions are gone. I also learned on many levels that it is not healthy to be so relaxed that your inhibitions go, that you say anything and do anything. I learned that. I had heard that. Now I knew it. 
There's an obvious danger in continual, reckless living, rebelling against society's uh, norms and standards. But remember this, and this is the most important thing about this. The younger son's core problem was not his reckless lifestyle. His core problem was that he had a broken relationship with his father. Application. We need to do a much better job of rejoicing when lost people, rebellious people, reckless people come to their senses and turn to God. We need to do a better job of highlighting that and rejoicing in that. We like to celebrate. I mean, just the other day they had uh, St. Patrick's Day. I don't know how many of you are Irish, but I bet some of you celebrate. I bet some of you wore green. My wife wore green. She ain't Irish tell you that. She's a lot of things, but she's not Irish. <laughs> we, we like to celebrate. Doesn't it like to celebrate? Think about uh, New Year's Day. Okay, so it's a new year. Okay, a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of time into celebrating New Year's. Th- think about all the holidays. We like to celebrate, don't we? I'll tell you something worth celebrating. When a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, that's worth celebrating. We should give more energy to that when someone who was lost is found. We need to do that. In fact, in the scriptures, Matthew, in the, in the book of Matthew, um, the tax collector, he, he came to Jesus, he met Jesus, he was, his life was transformed, and he invited his friends to a party to meet Jesus. He celebrated. He celebrated what had happened. Because he, you see, he wanted to celebrate the moment. In heaven, there's rejoicing when sinners repent. Question, are you still lost in your sins? Are you clearly living outside of the will of God and you know it? Like that older son, excuse me, like the, the, the um, younger son, you need to find yourself by, by testing and sampling all that the sinful world has for you. Listen, don't let rebellion keep you from God. It's a great invitation in the book of Isaiah. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's where God is. He invites us to come. Maybe you're here today and your life's a mess, and you know your life's a mess, and you're in a far country like this young man. You're experiencing the results of reckless living, the painful consequences that you've made, and you you, you feel it, you don't know what to do. Well, there's good news for you today. There's great news for you today that there's a heavenly father who's waiting for you to just come to your senses and come back and return return home, which is where you belong. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who can put you right with God, who will abundantly pardon. The second thing in the passage is the dangers of human religion. There's some subtle dangers of human religion that we have in this passage. Now, by human religion, I'm talking about Mankind's failed attempts to understand and pursue God. It's it's, it's in contrast with the gospel. 
which is about God coming down to us, to mankind, in the person of Christ, to reveal himself and to rescue us from our situation. Human religion. Of course, there's some obvious dangers of human religion. Just a few weeks ago, I think last weekend or weekend before last, there was a conference in D.C., in D.C., and there was a lot of controversy. Uh, uh, the conference was about on, on radical terrorism, what to do about radical terrorism. The controversy was, should we say it's radical terrorism or should we say it's radical Islamic terrorism? Because Islam is a religion, and, and, and there, was a there was a fear of saying that religion can be dangerous. Well, I'm here to tell you that religion can be dangerous. Yes, it can. Now, it's easy for us to look at other religions as dangerous, but we need to remember things about this faith that we proclaim and that many people proclaim and that some proclaim who really don't have a true faith. In fact, some have made a distinction between Christianity and Christianity-ism. Christianity is this, this true gospel that comes from the Word of God. Christianity-ism is this distortion, this, this poisonous thing that on many levels is destructive. I hope we can all agree that the, the, the Ku Klux Klan is an evil, wicked organization. I hope we can agree about that. If we can't, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. What, 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 they, what do they do when they spread their terrorism and their, and their fear? What, what, what is it they do? They burn crosses. Well, a cross? They, they believe somehow that their intimidation their terrorizing and their lynching is done in the name of Jesus. Now, we rightly distance ourselves from that kind of behavior. That's Christianityism. That's a distortion of true Christianity. That's a distortion of the heart of Jesus Christ and the followers of Christ. Now, those two are extreme examples, but I, I want to talk about the more subtle dangers of religion. And I think Luke's gospel tries to show, to paint some pictures of some subtle dangers of religion as the gospel goes through. It's just a couple examples. In Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day, and the scribes and the Pharisees are angry because Jesus has worked on the Sabbath day. They're upset. They're, hey, what are we going to do with Jesus? He's not following the rules. In Luke chapter 10, the passage that Blake preached on last, last Lord's Day, we saw religious leaders too busy to help a man who was been mugged on the street. Subtle danger of religion, what it can do to you. In Luke chapter 18, two men are in a temple. One is just a humble guy, doesn't want to be very overt about his faith and prayer. He's a good looking guy. The other guy is a religious guy, and he beats his breast. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like this guy here. Arrogant, proud. The dangers, the subtle dangers of religion. And in this chapter, verses 1 and 2, See, the whole context of this chapter is verses 1 and 2. The scribes and the Pharisees, the well-respected Jewish leaders who condemned Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, the social outcasts of the day. And we see that here, right here in the text. In, in, in the parable, the older brother, you see, represents the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the religious crowd, who are troubled by Jesus having fellowship with the outcasts. See, religion can be a kind of, of respectable rebellion. A respectable rebellion. Not a reckless rebellion, a respectable rebellion. Now, Tim Keller is right. He rightly states that both brothers are doing the exact same thing. Whether it's reckless rebellion or a respectable rebellion, they, are both, they both have problems in their relationship with the Father. 
Both of them do. They're both involved in their own programs of self-salvation, pursuing identity and purpose and peace through what they do rather than having a healthy relationship with their father who would provide identity and purpose and peace for them. They both have a broken relationship with their father. The younger one is just a little more honest about it. You see, the older brother's heart is no more righteous than the other brother. He is serving the father for the wrong reasons. Yes, he's not stepped away from the plantation, but in his heart, he has. Did you notice verse 30? Notice his imagination. He accuses the brother of, quote, devouring the father's property with prostitutes. Now look, he's just come in from the field from a, a day's work. He's heard the partying. He's heard the noise. He's asked his servant what's going on. He hasn't talked to his brother yet. He hasn't talked to his father yet until this point in time. Um, but he has been imagining what he would do if he were in the far country, like his brother was in the far country. Never, the text never tells us he was, that his brother was with prostitutes. Clearly, Jesus clearly tells us in Matthew that to sin in the heart is as eternally dangerous as sinning with the body. This older brother is as sinful as the younger brother. Applications. Don't let religion keep you from God. Don't let religion keep you from God. Following religion can, be, can deceive you. Do, do we really believe that salvation is through grace? Grace, the grace of God? There's a story in, in John chapter 9. It's a great story. The blind man that, that Jesus healed. He gets healed. He's blind, so he didn't know who did it because Jesus kind of went away. And there's all these discussions that the, the blind man has with people, the religious leaders, with the family. And at the end of the chapter, he realizes that it's Jesus, the one, the one who healed him, was a good man. It was the Lord. It was Jesus. And, and, and then he, he confesses that Jesus really is Lord. And at the end, and then as the chapter ends, there's this interesting interplay. As Jesus addresses the religious leaders, that they are, the religious leaders, they are the ones who are truly blind, not the blind man. The blind man who now sees Jesus, he really sees, though he doesn't have eyesight. The religious leaders who have eyesight, they are blind spiritually because they don't see Jesus yet. Religion can do that to you. I was, we just heard the song, Oh Happy Day, great song from the Hawkins family years ago. I was 12 years old when I had my first happy day. It was in Baptist Church in D.C. I'd been in church every Sunday of my life. I mean, my parents took me to church. That's what they did, me and my sisters. Um, and so, you know, I was 12, and I was about to be a teenager. It was the month of my birthday. But I had never personally come to the place where I cast myself totally on Jesus Christ, though I'd heard that message every single week. I was spiritually blind. But that morning, my Sunday school teacher gave the entire class a challenge to trust Christ. And for the first time, I, 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 I saw it. I heard it. It made sense. My eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit because I knew that day I truly was lost. Therefore, I truly needed the Savior. So I walked the aisle, Baptist Church, and was baptized that night. Oh, happy day. It's been said that 
Being in a garage doesn't make you a car. Likewise, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. The elder brothers, like these religious people in their passage, presumed upon the favor of the Lord. The compliant, the outwardly moral, the good, the older brothers, the ones who don't cause mom and dad to have headaches, we need to do a better job of understanding their pain and ministering to their hearts. And we need to do a better job of celebrating when they finally get it and trust Christ. Sometimes we hear people who give their testimony who've come from religious background, from Christian homes, and, and, and they say, when you ask them for their testimony, well, it's not that exciting of a story. And I hate it when people say that. Because every time someone trusts the Lord, heaven rejoices. It's a great time. It, when, when someone comes to Christ, the lost has been found. The, the, the blind can now see. It says in the text, he was dead, now he's alive. Every conversion to Jesus Christ is a spiritual resurrection. Finally, the last thing in this passage is about the surprising joy of the salvation. In the story of the younger son's repentance, there's a, in restoration, there's a, a couple things tucked away in verses 22 and 23 that shine some light on the nature of salvation. He gets a new robe. Isaiah 61 talks about righteousness being a robe. The robe of righteousness is placed upon us. We have the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He, he gets a new robe, putting on Christ, New Testament talks about. He gets a ring, reminding him of the unique identity and the unique authority that he now had. Ring, symbol of identity and authority. And we have that as children of God. He gets a new pair of sandals, reminding us that we need to walk in newness of life. And he gets a very special party, the fatted calf was that very special animal that was raised from infancy to only be put on the table at a unique, great family gathering. You had all the calf that were, you know, in, 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 her, in, in the stable, but there was that one calf, the one that everybody, that's the one. That's the one that we're going to save for the real special celebration. And when his son returns, dad says, go get the fatty calf. Go get that one. This is like dad saying, call up the Hyatt Regency. Let, let's celebrate. Get a DJ. This is, this, is, this, is, this is like a wedding celebration, a unique event in your family life. The fatted calf. Chapter has three stories. We've seen them all. We've talked about them all. There's a shepherd seeking a precious lost sheep. The sheep wanders away from the flock. Shepherd, God, God seeks us. God seeks us. There's a, there's a lady, a precious lost coin. Just the other, last week, my, my wife, Terry, she had, she had this, she, this crochet thing. She has these, like, she had, like, this, this crochet hook. It was a pink hook that she, she had in a bag, and the bag dropped, and it went, on, it went in her area, and, there, and she couldn't find it. And I said, what's wrong? I can't, I can't find my, my crochet hook. It was pink. And I said, well, don't you have some others? She said, yeah, I've got some others, but this one's different. This one does some things. I didn't understand it, but I knew that she had lost her. She was looking for this pink hook. So I helped her look for it. For about four or five minutes, I said, well, I can't find it. How much does it cost? Uh, I'll get you another one, you know, four or five. It couldn't be that expensive, you know, this big, you know, hook. So I went downstairs. I, I don't even look for it no more. 
15 minutes later, she comes in. Well, I found it. She'd been looking for, the, for, she'd been looking for half an hour for this thing. Persistent, diligent woman, like in this passage, who lost her coin and wouldn't give up. Till they, God does that. God is persistent. God keeps up he, until, he, until, you, until you're found. And the father, this father with the two precious sons who were lost, the point of the passage is that Jesus is this great shepherd. He leaves the safety of heaven to die on a cross for sinners. Just like a shepherd leaves the, the flock to go after that one. Wesley's song, he, he left the Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? John Wesley and can it be? The Holy Spirit seeks us out diligently, persistently, and finds us even when we, like the coin, didn't know we were lost. And our Father in heaven, who lovingly planned the whole thing, waits for the Spirit to do his work, and when we come back, he embraces us unconditionally. Amen. So, so theologians say that the Father arranges salvation, the Son accomplishes salvation, and the Spirit applies salvation to his people. And that's our God. This is our God. When you were found, if you were found, when you were saved from your sins, if you've been saved from your sins, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they rejoiced. They celebrated it. Look at verse 7 carefully, if you have a Bible. Verse 7 speaks of there will be joy in heaven. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, it speaks of joy in the presence of the angels of God. For many years, I thought that text said that the angels are rejoicing. That is not what it's saying. Look at it. There is joy in the presence of the angels. This is the joy of the Father, the joy of the Son, and the joy of the Spirit, our triune God. It's their party. They're the ones that are rejoicing. They're the ones that are excited that you have come to know God. In Luke 14, there's a banquet. There's a party. Salvation's a party. It's a banquet. We eat with joy what's been provided for us by another. What are some quick applications of this? Join the party. Have a party and join the party. Heaven rejoices when sinners repent. Are you rejoicing when sinners repent? Another application. Never give up on people. Never give up on people. Jesus never gives up on people who are far from God. In fact, he sees people who are really far from God as prime candidates. He goes after them. Not the ones who think they're close to God. God is waiting to rejoice. And he's given us the task of offering the good news to people. The song says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We could add, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. God has given formerly lost people the privilege and the responsibility of going to those who are still lost. So, so we, we need to be seeking others as well. Who are you praying for? Who, who in your circle of relationships, of friendships, are, are you praying for? We, we have these, we've talked about these Easter cards. Easter's coming in a few weeks. Um, it's great. It's to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, that might be a brand new thought for some people. Good Friday. What do you want to celebrate Good Friday for? Well, ask them. 
What's good about Good Friday? That's a great question. Come find out. And then Easter Sunday. Pray about who to offer this card to and have a conversation. They might hear of the good news that Christ died for sinners and rose for our justification. Listen, in John 4, Jesus said, The hour is coming, now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father is seeking. You worship a God who seeks lost people and celebrates when lost people are found. Are you reckless but lost? Are you religious but lost? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I think it was 1983. We'd been married a couple years, and we were going for a vacation up to Marigold Falls. We'd never been up there. And so Terry and I, we got on the road up, up Interstate 81 in Pennsylvania, and gas was getting low. I said, let's stop in Scranton. So Scranton, Pennsylvania, in the Poconos. Um, let's get some gas. We got off, you know, supposedly a five-minute stop. Um, the, the signs were confusing or something. Something happened. We, we got, we didn't, instead of going back onto the highway, we went towards the city. And we didn't realize it in a, in a couple blocks, and then we said, well, we can just circle a block. We couldn't circle a block. It was, it was kind of crazy. Anyway, 45 minutes later, we finally got back on the interstate. It was ridiculous. We were totally frustrated. We were trying to get to New York, and we were 45 minutes wasting time in Scranton. Now, you're probably saying, Pastor Stan, why didn't you just ask somebody in Scranton? I know you're thinking that, aren't you? Well, we did. We, you know, we, we went gas station. This is in the days before GPS, folks. I know some of you know, you just use your GPS. Now, this is, this is a few years ago, okay? And, I, and the map, I had a map of Pennsylvania. That didn't help me. It's not that big of a town. So we did ask someone, and, and they gave us directions. But here's, a pro, here's my point. The directions weren't that clear. They, they weren't that helpful. And so we heard some directions, but we were still lost. I want to be clear if you're lost. The way back is through Jesus. It's through Jesus. There's so many people who try to find their way back, but they don't want to talk about Jesus. The way back to God is through his son, Jesus Christ, who says, I came to seek and save the lost. And if you're lost today, whether your lostness is because of recklessness or because of religion, the good news is that you can find Jesus today, right now. Trust him, believe in him. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want to follow you. I want to be a serious, show enough follower of Jesus Christ. You can do that. Let's pray. Well, it's just, this is a, just such a popular parable, a, a wonderful story that you've used throughout history. Lord, I pray you use it today in our lives, Lord. And we're in different places. We're in different places. Lord, use, do with it what you would have to do in each of our lives. I particularly want to pray, Lord, for some who, 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 are, who are prompted and moved to want to, to, to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would do your work, Holy Spirit, in, in, in bringing a clear confession that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I want to follow him as my Lord and Savior, Lord. I pray you would do that in people's lives. If, and if you've, done, if you've made a commitment like that, tell somebody. Tell somebody before you leave. Lord, we thank you that your word doesn't return void, but you have a purpose to accomplish through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Closing song. Let's just do a benediction. Let's, let's rise with a benediction. Let's rise with a benediction. May the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the grace of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and, and the presence and power of the Spirit of God 
be with you now forevermore. Amen. God bless you.